Hi there, welcome to Embrace Your In-Between by Wider Visions. I am your host, Megan Shackleton, a certified transformational life coach and the founder of Wider Visions. At Wider Visions, our mission is to support your growth and expansion into the wider vision of your life. We are a platform where you can go to grow and we offer coaching courses and community to help you expand into who you'd like to be and the life you'd like to live. On this podcast, we engage in real conversations and share actionable growth guidance to help you embrace your in-between, the space between where you are today and where you want to be. Because after all, in the in-between is where all the growth happens. Hi, y'all. This is the last episode before our mid-season break, and I am going on vacation. I am so excited to just be really present with myself. I want to get a lot of fiction books to just get lost in a really good story and be at the beach, which is one of my most favorite places. The ocean has a grounding effect on me, and I always feel like life crystallizes and becomes more clear in perspective when I'm out of my day-to-day and by the ocean. But to round out the season, our midway point, I am sharing my conversation with Lucy Green, the founder of Homebody Club, which is a space for embodied and accessible well-being for all bodies. She loves providing people tools and resources to guide them back home to themselves. And in this conversation, we get really real on our experiences with our own health challenges. At seven years old, Lucy was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And then in her early adult years, she has experienced lupus, anxiety, and chronic fatigue. And like Lucy, I don't often share this, but in fifth grade, I was diagnosed with a really rare kidney disease called HSP. And for that entire school year, was in and out of hospitals and really sick and It wasn't until I started doing therapy in my early 20s that I discovered a root of a lot of my anxiety and a lot of my beliefs about myself actually stemmed from that really traumatic year. And additionally, like Lucy, I also have experienced fibromyalgia which is a chronic autoimmune illness for the last nine years. And so it was really interesting to be in conversation with someone that has gone through health challenges like me, both at a really young age and then also as an adult, but similar to me, has also really looked at our health from a place of curiosity and how can we be in better conversation with our bodies? How can we listen to the wisdom that our bodies are telling us? And how can we take these really challenging experiences and not bypass them or make light of them or try to ignore how heavy they can be, but at the same time, allow our own sense of self-definition to be wider and look at the wisdom within the experience And I really, really admire her. And it also felt really tender to share that experience or a similar experience with someone. It's not very common for me. 
I've really admired Homebody Club and Lucy from afar. I love her content and her approach to wellness and well-being as a place of accessibility and grounded spirituality. And so we have and share a lot of similar values. And I felt like in this conversation, even though Lucy is in Australia, very far away from Austin, Texas, I made a new friend. Homebody Club was created in 2018 first as a blog and since then has bloomed into a really beautiful community and a comprehensive place for people to get resources on connecting back with themselves and connecting back with their bodies. And so in this conversation, we talk about our chronic illnesses, but also from the lens of how these experiences have taught us to better take care of ourselves, better connect back with our emotional and mental bodies, as well as our physical body. And I just adore her, and I can't wait for you to listen to this. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited for this conversation. I have admired Homebody Clump for a very long time and really admire the community and the platform that you're building. And so I feel like today is going to be really juicy and I'm personally going to have a lot of amazing takeaways from today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So to get started, we have a little surprise for you. At Wider Visions, we are a community of people intentionally growing into our most expansive selves. And I believe that when we expand, heal, grow as individuals, we have a ripple effect of inspiring those around us. And so we asked your friend Georgia to write a little message about how you've inspired her, what you've taught her. And this is what she had to say. I am someone who is fortunate enough to have lived with Lucy for three years in the past. I say fortunate because this part of my life came at a perfect time and I didn't even know it. I was at a point in my life where I was insecure in myself and I felt lost. Lucy showed me how to celebrate myself for who I am and I found a way to respect myself again. She is someone who listens, doesn't pass judgment, and shows up. She inspires me every day to be the best version of myself and to appreciate the things that I have. I admire Lucy's compassion, loyalty, fierceness, and strength to fight all the obstacles that come her way. Aww. Trying not to cry. Oh, oh mm. that's so lovely. I'll definitely be calling her after. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's really beautiful. Of course. Sometimes it's really special to receive just how being ourselves, showing up as ourselves, it does have that impact on other people and a bigger impact than we even realize. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Oh, I'm blown away. Yeah. Mm. Also, also so happy because we did live together for three years as roommates. So I'm glad that I left. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. For her to write this about you after being roommates for a long time, that says a lot. (laughs) (laughs) To get started, I would just love to hear a bit about your journey and the inspiration behind Homebody Club. Sure. So, 
My journey starts when I was young, so I promise to keep this. <laughs> it's not going to be a full buy of my life, but essentially I was quite sick from a young age. Um, from about four or five, I had a lot of immune issues. I had my tonsils out because I had chronic tonsillitis. There were lots of immune issues going on, and at the age of seven, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis throughout my entire body and it was an incredibly rare case where, you know, professors were coming in and studying me because they hadn't seen it in someone so young before. And during that time I was on oral chemotherapy and doing all these different medications and therapies. I was very sick and I luckily was able to recover from it but kind of every five to seven years throughout my life, I would start a flare-up or a Mm flare-up would occur again. And so at the age of 21, I was diagnosed with lupus as well as rheumatoid arthritis, which is quite common in the autoimmune realm. You tend to have a couple of things going on that aren't diagnosed and will slowly get diagnosed. And I had another big flare-up. I was lucky to get over that, I guess. I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the word cause it just continues on when you have a chronic illness, mm. but uh, not as severe. And at that time I was doing a degree in business, majoring in marketing, and I wanted to be in, in fashion marketing. That's all I wanted to do. And I moved, so I'm from Adelaide, South Australia, and I moved to Melbourne, which is a different state. I would say it's about a nine hour drive away. I moved there at the age of 21 all by myself to start my uh, career in fashion marketing. And I, it was, it was my dream come true. I got a job at a major Australian retailer, loving life, you know, just like being that hustle mentality of doing really long hours to prove myself. And I, moved to another one of the biggest retailers in Australia for a marketing strategy. And it was there that I first really experienced burnout. And I started getting sick again. The signs for me are extreme fatigue, but also my joints would swell up and I'd start to really ache. And so I made the decision at about 25, 26 to quit this dream job that I had and start freelancing and doing that part-time so I could start to recover my health again. And during that time, when I was freelancing, I was by myself and really lonely because I was used to having a team around me and a group of girls to like chat with, with coffee in the mornings. And I kept on listening to all these podcasts about self-development and um, started getting into spirituality and mindfulness. And I wanted a place to share that uh, because all of my friends were working full time and they didn't really want to hear about the things that I was learning. So I started Homebody Club and that was actually inspired because I used to read the Babysitter's Club when I was little Mm. And even in primary school, I started like a babysitter's book club in the library. I loved Babysitter's Club too. Did you ever see the movie? (laughs) 
Yes. I loved the movie. (laughs) I love that it inspired you behind the name. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm such a homebody in general. So that, yeah, it kind of went hand in hand. And so it just started with a blog. I hadn't, I started a weekly newsletter. So this is about five years ago now. And it was literally just about sharing the things that I was learning, the things that I was into and just sharing my journey. And it kind of grew into this community. I was, it's, there's many iterations of it, but the iteration that it is now is from me having a flare up last year. That was probably the worst that I've had of my life. And I started mentioning my lupus and rheumatoid arthritis because I hadn't really talked about it online and the amount of people and feedback that I got of, oh, you understand what I'm going through and, oh, you you get it. I've been doing this behind the scenes. I've been feeling like this. It made me realise that the path that I wanted to go down was to help these people that aren't feeling seen or understood in the wellness space. That is so powerful. And as you said, there's been many iterations. I'm curious, what is your mission now or your driving force now? And how are you imagining that coming to life on the platform? My mission now is to create embodied and accessible well-being tools for all bodies. When I was in a flare-up, I found it so difficult to, you know, in yoga, for example, I couldn't even do yin yoga because it was too painful for me. And so I felt like that I didn't have a place in this wellness world where I didn't fit the mold of an able body. And I was so frustrated. And one of my best friends has Crohn's and she has a stoma bag and she has to be very careful with how she moves or how she looks after herself. And I, so I was talking to her one day, I'm like, how would you go in a yoga class? What would you be able to do? What would that look like for you? And we're talking about that. So my mission, I guess, is to create accessible tools, whether it's breathwork, meditation, restorative movements, um, different resources that are easily accessible so that everyone can feel good and look after themselves. I love that. Accessibility is a really important value of mine as well because these tools are transformative and I've seen them really transform my life and I know with your work, they've obviously transformed yours as well. I can really empathize with your journey and I see so much of myself in it and I'm sure you hear that often within your community members, but I also struggled with health issues when I was younger. When I was about 10 years old in fifth grade, I had this really rare kidney disease called HSP. And that whole year I was in and out of hospitals. It really, you know, impacted my school schedule and kids at that age, people don't want to be associated with the sick kid because kids just don't know, can I get sick? And so it was really a transformative experience that I really didn't credit with how it was still really showing up in my life, the anxiety or the trauma or the impact of that until much later 
in my self-development journey and healing journey. And I also, about 10 years ago, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And so I know what it's like to live with a chronic, invisible autoimmune illness. And I'm curious, have you distilled any wisdom or learning from these health experiences or health challenges? It's so interesting that you say that about kids uh, as, as a child and, yeah, kids not wanting to be your friend because you're the mm-hmm. sick kid. I totally resonate with that. It's hard as a child to try to communicate to not only children but also adults the fact that you're in so much pain but it is invisible and nobody can see it. I remember being in primary school and there were sports days that I couldn't do and I wanted to try to participate and they would, the kids would really bully me because they wouldn't understand um, what was going on and why I could, they, yeah, they just didn't get it. And so there was a lot of unintentional bullying from their behalf. So that kind of sits with me. So some of the things that I distilled from my journey is communication So I used to hide it. I used to feel a lot of shame around Mm -hmm. having an invisible chronic illness and I have so much power now over communicating and sharing my journey with not only the online space but also my close friends and family. I didn't want to share previously also to protect them like I didn't want that weird shame face not shame but pity face pity that they would do yeah they would be like oh you've got this (laughs) and um, I'm like yeah thanks for the support and so I would try to protect myself from that the other thing that I've learned is that truly you cannot compare yourself to other people because everyone's journey is so different, especially in the health space, but just in general, you're never going to yeah, be the exact same, be able to achieve the same things on the exact same timeline. Everyone is different and everyone has their unique perspective to show up in the world and to share. So why would you compare yourself to somebody when you can just shine and be yourself and share those experiences? I love that. Why compare yourself to somebody when you can shine just as yourself? What you were saying about the kids bullying you gave me like goosebumps and brought me to tears because with my experience young, I think it really wasn't until my early 20s when I was really struggling with my own anxiety and panic attacks that I had this moment of wow, that experience as a kid really impacted me. It wasn't something just hard I went through back then, but actually those patterns and beliefs and triggers are still impacting me today. And so for me, even now, having done, you know, about 10 years worth of self-inquiry, self-work, being really curious and practicing self-compassion, getting sick for me or having a flare-up is still a triggering experience. It's still something that invokes anxiety, invokes this feeling of like not having safety in my body. I'm curious when you're having a flare-up, if 
that's a similar experience for you? And what are some of those practices that are really nourishing and supportive? Thank thank you for sharing that. And I completely resonate with that as well. It's been a really difficult journey. And my coping mechanism when I have a flare up is basically dissociate from my body. Mm. So I really have had to work on my relationship with my body, um, not only just from that self-love perspective, but even, um, yeah, from like feeling numb perspective, not wanting to feel anything because it's just too overwhelming Mm. when there's so much pain and fatigue happening. This time around when I had a flare-up, so I was and still am 30 years old, I think I came into it with a bit more yeah, compassion for myself and understanding now that I've done quite a lot of work in meditation and mindfulness, which has really helped. So when I started flaring up, I made sure to not get get numb, use numbing, mm-hmm. like scrolling, TV, alcohol, all these sort of things that would disconnect my brain from my body Mm -hmm. um, and really got into grounding, nourishing practices. So if I had a really bad day, I would do some breath. Breath work has been the number one thing for me that has really helped me get back into my body and connect back. I love breath Um, work. Oh, just... I was always a meditation girly. And then when I started breath work, I'm like, why have I not done this sooner? This is out of control. (laughs) Like it's just. I started with meditation and then went into breath work. And what I love about it is it's a self-care practice that A, is rooted in science. There's so much science around how it literally changes the physiology of our bodies, of the chemicals and it's free. You can learn the techniques and then it's really, like you said, accessible to everyone. Yeah. I, yeah. You can see the breathwork courses for thousands and thousands of dollars. You don't need to do it. There are so many accessible resources online. You can do it anywhere. Literally, if I'm feeling stressed at work, I can go to the bathroom and do some breathwork or when you're sitting in the car. Um, I love breathwork before bed to calm me down. So It can be just a simple practice of two minutes. It's just, yeah, like you said, so accessible. So that was the one thing that I started and also just really slow nourishing practices. So sitting in a restorative pose um, for 10, 15 minutes, legs up on the wall, which helps to regulate and slow down your nervous system and trying to be mindful throughout the day. So going for walks and there's a mindfulness technique called orienting where you notice the sounds and the colors and it really slows you down and gets you into the conscious moment. And those are the sort of things that I had to really do to keep myself calm and not anxious about the flare up and also keep myself present. So I wasn't in this anxiety spiral um, and victim mode, which is, you know, so easy to get into. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing is Previously, kind of your coping was disconnecting from your body or, you know, that trauma response. And now the practices that are bringing you a lot of support in those moments are ones where actually coming back into your body or forming a connection between your your body and your inner self. Definitely. Yeah. 
yeah, it's all about those slow embodied practices. I think as well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get a bit like with a flare up or with chronic illness, I can start, what am I trying? How can I communicate it? I'm like, over aware of my body sometimes Mm -hmm. and if there's anything slightly wrong I'm like oh my god is this going to be a flare-up or I've you know slight ache or I'm tired and so it's yeah it really helps me to connect back and and feel things and go okay this is what I'm feeling today this is what's happening in my body that doesn't mean it's going to be a flare-up that doesn't mean it's going to be a big thing it can just be for today and let's Mm -hmm. just accept that and do the nourishing practices and look after myself in the best way that I can. I totally feel you. It's for me, the tendency, right, that I am constantly kind of working through or trying to be patient with myself is this anxiety that's almost like a hypervigilance. I feel like that's what you're saying, where it's like, if you're so used to experiences where your body has had this trauma or this illness, looking out for being hypervigilant of anything that might jeopardize kind of your safety or your experience within your body, I can completely relate to that. And something that's been really helpful for me as a reframe, especially with a chronic illness where it really is something that, at least in my experience, what has helped me make peace with it is embracing that, okay, this is the experience for right now, and then reframing around this is my body talking to me. And everyone's bodies talk to them. I almost look at my fibromyalgia, and again, this is just what helps me, but as this like superpower of my body really quickly makes a physical expression around my mental experience, my emotional experience. And if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm overworking myself, if I'm not allowing myself to sleep, if I'm feeling really anxious and stressed and not taking time to tend to that, I'm going to have a flare up. And so for me, it's looking at, oh, my body's talking to me right now. And how can I listen Versus in the past, when I was first diagnosed with it, I'd be frustrated or I'd continue pushing beyond it until things got really bad. And so that's been a practice of, okay, how can I listen to my body right now? And what does my body need? And how can I be one with it, trying to connect with it versus disassociate or be frustrated at the experience? 100%. I think, yeah, there are two ways that you can go about uh, chronic illness is to try to fight it, to put some band-aids over it, whatever that may be, which is very Western culture, or as you said, embrace it and look to it as the signpost of how you can better look after yourself or what needs to change in your Mm -hmm. life. And I For anyone that's listening that might be struggling with a chronic health illness or illness at all, it's really challenging. I think for me, with our health, 
it can be all encompassing. Everything externally in your life can be going great. Your mental health can be amazing. But if your health is flaring up, it can really cloud that experience. But with that said, I also feel like the way that's helped me kind of empower myself within that dynamic is, okay, this is the experience right now, but what can I do to to tend to myself or be compassionate to myself or love myself or be gentle around this experience? How can I soften around this really sticky activating moment? Yes. It's another form of self-care, like another level of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were talking, I also wanted to share that Sometimes when I say chronic illness, people are like, oh, well, that's not me. And so I I do often interchange it with invisible Mm -hmm. illness, which is what we've talked about. And the definition of that is anything that you can't see. So that's anxiety, depression, hormonal issues, diabetes. It doesn't need to be something so big or as an autoimmune. Um, And it's such an encompassing term that I think everyone can, or a lot of people can relate Mm -hmm. to it as well. So it doesn't need to just be, yeah, a a joint thing like rheumatoid or chronic fatigue. It could be hormonal and, and maybe that's your period was really bad this month. So how can I sit down and think, how can I look after myself a bit better? What is this trying to tell me? Is this trying to tell me that I've put a lot of stress on my body? Maybe I need to eat more nourishing foods, um, do some journaling to help with that anxiety. Our bodies are always telling us what's going on. We just actually need to listen to it. Yes. That is such a powerful clarification. And it's interesting because in Western society, as well as as women, I feel like we are very disconnected from our bodies. Sometimes the female experience can even be unsafe to be in our bodies or want to shrink or not have attention. And there is such a connection, as you say, between our bodies and our inner experience, our emotional and me- mental well-being. It's a two-way conversation and they impact one another. How do you see your emotional and mental well-being impact your physical health and vice versa? It's completely intertwined. So I know that when I'm having a flare-up, it's because something is not right in my life, which is most likely stress. It's only in the past year or so that I've really focused on nervous system regulation Um, And that has been a top priority of mine. And I can see the difference day to day. My health is just so much better now that I'm putting in place the tools and awareness of that. When I feel stressed for me, my body aches. I get incredible pain in my hands and that's I'll be at work and my hands will start to hurt. And that is my sign that I'm way too stressed out and that I'm now impacting my body with my mental load. So I can, I see the correlation instantly. I love nervous system regulation techniques and tools. And for me personally, it's been so transformative to have 
that language and have techniques that support that. And I know that you mentioned to me right now you are focusing on techniques that actually activate stress as a way to better regulate your nervous system. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah. So now that I'm out of my flare up, so my flare up went for about a year, which is a long one to have. But during that time, I was basically like my life was on hold. I was quite dormant and I was envisioning the future that I wanted to have. And that's essentially what kept me going of like, okay, what do I want to create for my life? What does my one-year plan look like? What does my five-year plan look like? And a lot of the visions that I had were my future self really taking on a lot of new things and new responsibilities and setting some really big goals for myself. So I was sitting one day thinking, okay, for myself in five years, what would that look like? What would I be doing? What are the practices that I would be doing at that time? And one of them was ice baths and cold water therapy. And I thought, well, why am I doing that now? That's something that I could integrate now into my life and I could be my future self right now. Well, there's absolutely yes. no reason. But also I hate cold. I hate, I hate <laughs> the cold so much. <laughs> and I'm a heat baby. I love a bath. I love Same. a heat pack. Yeah, I love, I love cool, a sauna. But <laughs> I, I, love cool. I love a hot coffee. Yes. I'm a little bit of both. I love my bath time. It's I say it's because I'm a double water sign in my big three. So I just love water in general. But here in Austin, we have Barton Springs. So I do a spring dip all the time. It's cold, but it's nowhere near like a cold plunge. I actually have never done a cold plunge before. Oh, you need to do it. Yeah. Do it and then get back to me. I will. <laughs> you might be cursing me. I heard it's amazing um, for your mental health. It's so good. And so so the reason why I started it uh, essentially was for the anti-inflammatory reasons. It's uh, incredibly good for calming down inflammation in your body. And, and that was my driving force. And then I didn't realize, but it really, when I started researching it more, um, Andrew Huberman from Huberman Lab is a huge advocate for this. And I would suggest going there because his science, he's at Stanford Uni and he is, yeah, one of the top guys. I follow him Amazing, on Instagram, um, but I have not yet yes. committed to his podcast because the episodes are quite long. <laughs> Committed is the word. It's like two to four <laughs> hours sometimes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it builds resilience. Mm. And in in doing ice baths and cold plunges, it really um, makes you show up for yourself and gives you that discipline and makes you prioritize yourself because it's something that you don't want to do. Like it, it can actually be quite painful. Um, and from that, things like ice baths can start increasing your stress capacity um, as your resilience builds. So for me, I associate increasing my stress resilience and capacity so that in the future I can really step up to some big scary goals mm. 
that I know will stretch me. I know will add some stress because that's life, right? We can't just like sit in our rooms or cuddled up in a blanket and not um, have these stresses, but it's being able to deal with them, to have our nervous system regulate enough that when things come, we can say, okay, we'll deal with it. It might stress us out, but that could be for 10 minutes to a day rather than like a two week spiral. So yeah, for me, yeah, I've been, you know, I really want to increase that threshold for me because I want to do some big things in my life. And um, yeah, that requires training myself to be able to handle it. Yes. I love that because as we expand into bigger visions, oftentimes that can come with more responsibility and how can we make it safe to hold that container? I know within breathwork, I have struggled with anxiety. And so I I naturally gravitate towards more of the like parasympathetic, nourishing breath techniques. And when I was doing my certification, we were doing breath of fire and I was very resistant towards it. And for those listening, it's a very activating technique where you're pumping your navel And it's building energy. And I remember asking the teacher, this actually makes me feel anxious. And her response was, similar to what you're saying, we do these different techniques within, you know, wellness, mindfulness, meditation, breath work, so that we can practice that regulating of the nervous system, regulating our stress coping mechanisms and in a safe space, allowing ourselves to know that we can, we have the tools to bring ourselves back to that place of safety and equilibrium. And for me, that, that reframe of, okay, this discomfort is actually allowing my system to find more safety within that experience. It's just interesting. I, I feel like also with health, that disconnect of not feeling safe in my body sometimes makes me resistant towards pushing myself physically or pushing myself within breath work, but giving it the meaning of this is actually really good for me to expand into feeling more safe within this stress and that I will come back down to that equilibrium has been really helpful. Yeah, I think it's we have to do what's best for our body. So when I was in a flare up, I definitely did not do anything activating. It was all very calm. I remember yeah, trying to do breath of fire, basically had an anxiety attack, mm-hmm. even doing a breath work where you have to breathe out and then hold mm-hmm. without any breath. And that would give me anxiety. I could feel my chest start to tighten and I was like I'm gonna die I don't have any breath in me and so yeah it's also that stage of life there are sometimes that you just need to really nourish yourself and ground and be calm and yeah when you have that capacity to go okay let's ramp this up like Mm -hmm. let's get this going let's increase our capacity that is such a great discernment of allowing yourself permission to meet your body where it's at. But then also for me in my situation, it was questioning 
the mental discomfort of not feeling safe in any sort of activation in my body or not having my body feel feel a little disruptive. And so allowing ourselves, okay, we can listen to ourselves when we really do need to just nourish and and take it a little bit more gentle on ourselves. And then also having the discernment of, oh, actually, let's push beyond this. Definitely. And again, it's that make sure that you're not comparing yourself if you're seeing somebody on Instagram mm-hmm. doing a really activating um, yeah, technique and you feel like you should do it because they're really cool and, you know, you want to be like them. It's all about listening to your body and doing what's right for you. And, yeah, like you said, even questioning why do I have um, – why don't I want to do this? Why doesn't it feel right in my body? Is there anything underlying? Are there any beliefs? Maybe it's just not right for the day and you try again tomorrow. Um, it's holding ourselves with compassion, but also curiosity. Compassion and curiosity. Those are big values of mine. For someone who might not have the practice of listening to their body, what are some ways that helped you start to form that relationship or that connection? Journaling definitely helped me. Um, a daily journaling practice, nothing crazy. I didn't put any pressure on myself to like, you have to do this many pages. It was literally just a journal of how am I feeling today? Initially, it was because I was wanting to talk to doctors about what I was feeling, but it, it can be for anyone. It's literally just checking in with yourself. How am I physically feeling? How am I mentally feeling? Yeah, just taking that moment. It, it doesn't need to be super deep. You could literally just write it down and then get on with your day and that's that's how you start. And then it can grow into, okay, if I'm feeling like this, how can I nourish myself with the right foods? Maybe I'm not having as much coffee today because I'm feeling a bit anxious. Um, maybe I'll do some stretches at night to because my hips are really tight. It will start to that that awareness will start to snowball throughout your day and then life of how can you support yourself further. That's so good. I always tell my clients like awareness is the first step of change. And what I'm hearing from you it's paying attention creating space, even if it's just a little bit of space, to pay attention to how am I feeling both physically and emotionally. And then once you have that awareness, starting to be curious about, okay, what can I do in those moments? What can I experiment with? What can I maybe, for me, trying to be playful in those moments, especially if it's something that's challenging or activating, how can I just soften around it is always really helpful. I know that we both have invested in ourselves in really similar ways. And we've both done Lacey Phillips to magnetic work, which I love. And I know that you've also invested in coaching with Natalia Benson, as have I, with Lacey Phillips' work, To Be Magnetic, for those listening that might not be familiar, she has a very different approach to manifestation that, for me, really locked things into place. Prior to her, I had 
been familiar with The Secret or Abraham Hicks. And within that more new age manifestation, something that Lacey has clarified is we really manifest from our subconscious beliefs. And while Abraham Hicks is correct, our thoughts do create our reality, 95% of our thinking is subconscious. And so I love her approach of being curious of what's kind of underneath the surface and how that's impacting our external experience. I'm curious how you reconcile the concept of manifestation with very real health challenges. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a spicy topic and <laughs> It's something that I <laughs> it's something that I pushed to the side to be honest for a long time um and I never really got into manifestation because of that because there was that kind of shame of well mm-hmm. if you think it then that's what you create for yourself and from my perspective I was like I was 7 years old when I was diagnosed with RA like totally what are you talking about as a 7 year old how am I I'm responsible for manifesting this chronic illness for the rest of my life like that sucks so that was it that was really it's really hard to hear that sort of thing um I don't agree with it I on I yeah just for clarification I yeah I don't have a clear answer to be honest um and that's okay it's a hard question and it's one I've also debated or doodled, okay, what, what's my opinion around this? Yeah. I, I think that it's, it's an interesting topic in terms of, and I guess it comes back to, uh, your spirituality and beliefs as well of like, do you have, do you believe in a purpose in life? Then maybe that's connected to your purpose. Some people don't believe that. And I've kind of, yeah, it's rolled around in my mind of, if I have a purpose and maybe that purpose is to help people feel seen and to help nourish and support people going through these invisible illnesses um, and to create community for them. And so from that perspective, when I'm manifesting, it's kind of, it's kind of what we talked about before of these are the signs and I, and Lacey Phillips talks about tests a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so things will come up and they will test you and, you know, whether you, I don't want to say pass, but if you can recognize that they are a test, then the thing that you want is coming. So sometimes I think, oh, my flare up is a test. It's showing me these are the things that I need to change. And this is where I, this is, the signpost for where I need to go next um, and creating that meaning around it, which also helps just to yeah, emotionally and mentally deal with those sort of issues. Yeah. It's interesting because I love Lacey's work and the language of tests for me personally is just feels a little icky. I think it's because I believe that the universe is supporting us and tests feel a little tricky. And so, or like a little, 
it doesn't feel the word the language test doesn't feel supportive to me. And so the way that I've been using it is like opportunities or opportunities to step into that version that I want to be. My my two cents is manifestation and law of attraction are one spiritual law of the universe. They're not the only law. There's, you know, like law of one and law of polarity. And while I think we're here to co-create with the universe, and that is a really beautiful experience of growth and expansion, at the same time, my personal belief and my spiritual belief is that we come to earth with very specific soul growth lessons that we want to learn or experience. And sometimes things are just completely out of our control. Like you said, I definitely feel like it's toxic or harmful to think, okay, at age 10, I manifested this kidney disease. Or even at age 24, I manifested fibromyalgia. You know, sometimes activating, challenging, painful experiences happen. And the way I try to look at it is, okay, what's the wisdom? Once I've felt those emotions, felt the experience, part of the healing for me is what is the wisdom or the lesson that I gained from that? And just recognizing that while I think we're here to feel really fulfilled and feel really joyful and find meaning that at the same time, this, ex- in my opinion, this human experience is not meant to only be good. There's the law of polarity and sometimes there's going to be sticky situations. And if we only look at manifestation through the lens of I'm creating every single thing in my experience, it can become harmful because it either becomes a pattern of self-blame, which is just not helpful. And also this trying to control our experience. I definitely have been in stages of manifestation when I learned about it initially where I was trying so hard to control my thoughts or control what my external experience is going to be. Whereas I think part of being a human is learning the art of making peace and detachment (laughs) from external circumstances. It's the both and. Yeah. Yeah. There's always gray and nuance throughout life. Yeah, I remember somebody, it was it was somebody in the spiritual realms and they were talking about how their belief is that as a spirit you choose this life. This is getting a bit a bit more magical. No, but that's what um, I personally that believe. They believe that they so they were saying that they believe that as a spirit you choose this life and you choose to come to the earth and, and be this to fully experience the spectrum of human life and emotions and everything that comes with it um so from that perspective yeah like you said it can't all be good it can't all be cruisy there's there's a spectrum of things that we're experiencing and yeah maybe this is this is our path and how can we do the best we can with this situation absolutely that's my personal belief. 
it was interesting because even though I believe that, last summer, last like September, I just had a series of these external kind of challenges kind of come up. And I even texted two of my dear friends. I was like, do you all think I'm manifesting this? And both of them reminded me like, sometimes being human means things happen. And how can we be really compassionate and loving and graceful with ourselves in those moments and as graceful to other people as we can be? We've talked about this off the podcast, but two weeks ago, I injured my back and it was just the most random thing that I could not have controlled whatsoever. And there could have been the point of me victim blaming myself and saying, I manifested this, I did this to myself, but instead I showed up with grace and calm and just decided, okay, this is what it is and this is what it's going to be. How can I be compassionate to myself in the situation? How can I be nice to the people that are helping me, the doctors that are helping me? Mm. And it just, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not going to attach meaning to this. It's, this is just the human experience. Yes. That's it. I feel like you hit the hammer on the nail, hit the hammer on the head, hit the nail on the head. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, where is it? It's coming. It's coming. Um, it's what do we want to attach meaning to? It's that, yes, addressing the initial emotional, physical, mental impact of whatever that experience is and allowing ourselves to like really hold depth for that experience and then being curious around are we making it even more intense for us by what meaning we're attaching to it. I'm curious, it seems like you've done so much self-development and personal development work. What are some tools, resources, concepts, books that have changed your life? Ooh, okay. So I feel like this is a very um, stereotypical well-being <laughs> wreck, but Elizabeth Gilbert and Brene Brown love, are, love. My <laughs> are my queens. Same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so funny when we're talking about Lacey Phillips, the, the, um, the theory of expanders and, you know, role models, essentially what they are. And when I was growing up, I did not really, I, I wasn't really like into famous people. I was always about role models and what they were doing because I wanted to do it. And I haven't really fangirled over anyone. And then a couple of years ago, Elizabeth Gilbert came to Australia and she did a talk and I was by myself at this round table and she walked out on stage and I just started crying. I love her. <laughs> like before she even started talking, I was just so overwhelmed with, um, yeah, just I'm, yeah, ultimate fangirl. So I absolutely love Big Magic and that was kind of my permission slip to recognize myself as a creative, which seems when I tell people that it seems weird because I was in or and I am in marketing and there's so many creative aspects. I've created Homebody Club and done all of the graphic design and branding and everything for that. So yeah, I I recognize myself as a creative now. But she 
was really the one that opened my eyes to how important showing your creativity Mm. is to the world and that bravery. And then Brene Brown came in with that, yeah, also bravery and vulnerability and showing vulnerability and compassion. Those were, yeah, the queens that cracked me open. Well, there is a reason why I'm so I gravitate towards your content and towards your message because they're also my dream mentors. I love big magic and I read it once a year. And what I find so special about it is how she explains creativity as just something we all are. We're all innately creative and how it to me, the process of growth or personal development or inner expansion is a creative process. We're co-creating with the universe, with ourself. I love that book. I love both of them. Yeah, that's such an expansive thought to just, instead of thinking of a creative as something that, you know, you're painting or it's something physical or external to yourself, you can also just be creative, like you said, in your life creating connections, Mm. um, creating the ripple effect on other people from the start of our conversation. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a material, physical, external thing that we see. I have three more questions for you, and I feel like I could keep going. You said that you're prioritizing rest now and your relationship to rest and specifically the concept of clean rest. I've never heard the the term clean rest before. What is that? I don't know whether I've made it up <laughs> or whether I've heard somebody <laughs> talk about it. Trademarks. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess clean rest for me is coming back to the coping mechanisms that I have of dissociating from myself and also numbing. And my goal this year has to really be consciously resting and looking after myself without distraction. So I, I love a good TV show and sitting on the couch with my husband watching Netflix, but not uh, sitting there for an entire day because I'm just trying to numb myself and disconnect mm-hmm. from my body. Um not sitting on TikTok for five hours like I could very easily do and disconnect from the world. Um, And also when I'm resting to not be thinking about what's next, making Mm. myself feel guilty or feel shame over resting and taking a moment for myself and looking after myself. So I guess the clean part of that is mentally and physically really resting and not something that's masquerading as rest. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. And having the discernment of what's feeling good and what's going to feel good later. Because sometimes, you know, when we're binging Netflix, it feels good in the moment, but afterwards it doesn't feel good. (laughs) And then sometimes like working out doesn't necessarily feel good in the moment, but it feels good after. And so for me personally, allowing myself to have the awareness of what feels good after for me personally, is what helps it delineate what's like clean rest versus numbing. Totally. Or even if it's like, okay, I'm going to binge two episodes, 
but then after I'm going to do the things that I know will be good for me. And so that compromise of, yeah, the, there's always the shades of gray. We can, we can do both and all. So our last two questions are signature questions that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. And with Wider Visions, we're all about supporting others and to expanding into that wider vision of their life. And so what is something that you are intentionally growing into? I love creating visions and goals for myself and for my future self. That's a really yeah big practice for me, not just as a New Year's resolution sort of vibe, but ongoing Same. because I want to make sure that, yeah, the life that I'm living is on my terms and what I want. And it's not because somebody else has something in mind for me. So yeah, I think visions are incredibly important. This year is going to be an interesting year because as I said, last year was kind of a pause year for me. I literally just had to prioritize my health and everything else kind of got put on pause. Um, So I personally have some big things that I'd like to do buy our first house, my husband and I, um, expand our family, just big, big, big moments, big adult things. Those are so exciting. (laughs) Very adulty. But in terms of homebody, um, I recently finished a certificate in embodied energetic meditation. I finished my EFT level one and I'm about to start my yoga teacher training. So there's a lot of things ramping up in terms of my knowledge and my foundation that I want to really get solid so that I can create um, the most amazing resources for the community. And I have, yeah, a lot of visions in mind, but I want to get myself up to that level that I know that I can be to be able to provide that. Those are all so exciting. I love real estate, so we will have to connect offline on that. And I can't wait to see what unfolds with Homebody Club. My last question is, what is one vision victory or one thing that you want to celebrate yourself for? So what is one step that you have taken recently big or small, that helped you close the gap between where you are today and where you want to be? So my one celebration is that on January 1st, I decided to give up alcohol and I was not a big drinker. Um, I wouldn't drink during the week. It was only on weekends. I love a glass of red wine with a steak. But when I was thinking of my future self um, and my future vision, of, you know, the things that I want to achieve, the things that I want to do. Alcohol just wasn't in the picture. Um, We want to expand our family trying to conceive. So obviously alcohol doesn't go hand in hand with that. Um, But also just, yeah, the person um, in terms of inflammation, health benefits, um, just every way that I wanted to show up it was not conducive to drinking alcohol anymore. And I had, I was really hanging on to it. Um, I think as a social crutch of um, 
well, what do I do now when we go out for date night? And what does that look like when I go out with a friend to a wine bar or things like that? And so it's taken, I guess, a very conscious effort to um, create boundaries when I'm with family or friends and I'm saying, no, I'm not drinking. And also how my husband and I, you know, go on date nights and connect and things like that. So it's been a real change for me, but I'm really proud of continuing to not do that and show up for myself now and stepping into that future vision. I love that. That's amazing. I would describe myself as sober curious. I hardly ever drink and it really comes down to For me, with my health, I feel like crap even with one drink the next day, and it's just not worth it. And I find by not drinking, I have a lot more energy, which is also so important with fatigue being a a symptom of my fibromyalgia. And so it definitely feels a lot more vitality within my system, and that's, that's a really big thing to celebrate. And a big lifestyle shift. Yeah. And it's that like curiosity that we keep on coming back to of like, why am I hanging on to this? And I guess I am super curious. I don't say that I've given up alcohol for the rest of my life. It's that curiosity of why was I so connected and ingrained in this culture? Mm -hmm. Um, And what was I hanging on to? What would that mean for me if I gave it up? Yes. So, And for me, it's discernment around what am I seeking when I want that glass of wine? And if it's truly because I love the taste of Sancerre and I want to just have this like great experience, great. For me, I I like to try to do everything in moderation. But at the same time, if we're seeking other things like social lubricant, how can I address that in different ways? Definitely. Yeah. It's, um, and you will find if somebody has an issue with that, whether it's alcohol or any other lifestyle choice, it's more of a reflection of them projecting on you. And so that has also been a very interesting lesson to see who projects because of your life choices. Yes, that's I've experienced that as well. And then it's very interesting. And then also the act of okay, this isn't about me, this is about them. And how can I disconnect from the experience that they're having? Hold compassion for it and create a little bit of emotional distance from it. Yeah, it's not you, it's them. Exactly. This has been so lovely. Thank you so much, Lucy, for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you creating this safe space to connect. Mm, It's been such a blessing. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Embrace Your In-Between by Wider Visions. I'd love to end by having you ask yourself, what is one thing you will do this week to step into your wider vision? What is one commitment that you want to make to your growth and expansion? If this podcast sparks some self-insight or self-discovery, we would so appreciate you sharing with your community, subscribing to be in the know for future episodes, and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, reach out on Instagram or TikTok at Wider Visions or my personal handle at Megan.Checkleton to let us know how we can support your expansion. Until next time, set the intention to embrace your in-between.